You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. We have uh, been talking about the fact that God is good for three or four sessions here. Uh, and uh, this session is, is along those same lines, but I don't think it's going to be a part of this series. I want to talk to you a little bit today about redemption and what it means, what the buyback was all about. Redemption, redeemed. To be redeemed means, in our, in our vernacular, means to be bought back, which implies that you once had it, and it went away, and you had to pay for it again to get it back. That is the story of redemption from the first Adam to the last Adam. Redemption. What Jesus was doing was buying us back. He set an example, no, no, no question. He was setting an example for how we should live and how we should function and operate and, and, and pray and all, all, the, all the things that he was the greatest example ever in for us. However, that was not his main purpose. He did not come to show us how we should live only. He came to show us what it meant to be lost and then to be found, to be bought back. Um, No place really is this talked about in any more theologically clear terms than in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll ask you to take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to begin reading with verse 14. You hear me refer to this passage of Scripture quite often. I think it is one of the apex Scriptures of the, of the three most dynamic passages of Scripture in Pauline doctrine. I'm going to say this is one of the three. If you don't know anything about Paul's doctrine, you need to learn what 2 Corinthians 5 has to say. It'll help you. Verse 14, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 is where we'll start today talking about what redemption means. For the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, for this purpose... Know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. From this time on, we don't know him in the flesh anymore. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, the meaning given to us, the Apostle Paul specifically, but he means to all of us who are, who are now in the family, we have a ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is to say that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God 
in him. Now, Father, we say thank you, first of all, for the power of this message, the power of this word. And I believe that this word will, was sent for us today to, to do what it's supposed to do, to grant to us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ, that we might see and understand Jesus better. We might understand what his purpose was in the earth to bring us back, as, not, not, not just as created man in a garden, but to bring us back as the sons and daughters of the living God, the family of God. And I thank you for that. Let that spirit of revelation come upon your people because I do believe that this identification with God as his family, hallelujah, creates for us a stronger sense of purpose and destiny and holy living. And this we praise you for in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Redemption's purpose then is life. If one died for all, then were all dead. And what that saying is that Christ died for us even though we were all dead, were dead, meaning we're now alive. Yes. So redemption's purpose is life. It's not, I used to, they used to terrorize me when I was a kid. You say you're a Christian? Are you willing to die for him? It used to terrorize me when I was a kid. You don't know you're a real Christian unless you're ready to die for him. How many of you had a similar experience? Frankenstein Christianity is what that is. Are you willing to die for him? Go away. Go away, you zombie. Why are you trying to terrorize me? Huh? The question isn't whether you're ready to, willing to die for him. The question is, are you willing to live for him? Because sometimes dying is easier than living. Paul said he, he wanted to die. Earlier in this same chapter, he said, I wanted to die. I've been there many times, just let me die and get out of here. But it's more expedient and better off for you if I stay. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, Paul said. He, he knew he'd be better off if, if he was dead. He would be better off if he was dead, but the world wouldn't. You understand? The question today is not are you willing to die for him, are you willing to live for him? Because the purpose of redemption is life. Life. In fact, the purpose of redemption is long life. Amen. 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 The Lord wants you to live and prosper. That's why it's so tragic. We all know this instinctively. If you hear, if you hear that somebody 90, year old, 90 years old passed away, even in your own family, you, kinda, you might go, oh, and you smile. Well, she had a nice long life. Come on, be honest. It's not a tragic experience if somebody really old passes away. But when you hear about a young medical doctor like our friend who dies at 36 years old, wow, horrible, awful. We're all sick of it. The whole family's sick with grief right now. Huh? Because instinctively we know that this is not right. This is not right. And believers need to say it's not right. Rather than say things like, like you hear at funerals all the time. Just the dumbest things. Well, the Lord needed another rose for his bouquet. <laughs> you'd think, you'd th you want to know what's wrong with the church? You just heard it right there, the preachers. That's what's wrong with the church. That's why I'm training preachers, to try to get them out of that stupidity. Redemption's purpose is life. I, uh, 
Christ did not die only to make us die well. He died so we could live well. I mean, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but I was already wrecked. I was already broken. I was already dead, that scripture says. Huh? Redemption isn't about dying. Redemption is about living. Living for God. Amen, amen, amen. You'll never be the same if you get a hold of this. This good God is not out to kill you. This good God is out to make you alive in every detail of your life. Now, you need to be careful with this. That if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, Romans 10, 9 and 10, right? Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved or delivered. Now, the next verse is a powerful one. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. You understand? That, that righteousness is a matter of the heart. Righteousness is not a matter of performance. Righteousness will never be a matter of how well you perform. When the Apostle Paul kept the law perfectly, he said, and he still, that still allowed him to chase down Christians and have them put in jail and killed, then he was not righteous because even though he was doing righteously outwardly, he was not righteous inwardly. You understand this? And if performance can't make you righteous, then non-performance can't keep you from being righteous. Righteousness comes from some other source besides your own actions. That's right. It has to. Right. Nothing else makes any sense. Righteousness is an imputed gift from Almighty God. Amen. Wow. Amen. All right. I got about five people that are really on my side today. <laughs> Praise God. I, if I get seven or eight, I really preach good. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying it on the inside, okay. <laughs> For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, hear me, confession is made unto salvation. And let's not run to, run to we want to talk about righteousness. You have the righteousness in your heart. That's a, you've been made righteous, that, that seals your eternity right there. There you go. But whether or not you're saved is your mouth's business. Because if you talk unbelief and doubt, you're going to live in unbelief and doubt. Yeah. If, you, if you talk it, you can't, you can't, you can't, you're going to have you can't, you can't, you can't. Yeah. Come on. You've got to work it out. The salvation is something you work out with fear and trembling in your confession. Yes. You know you've got an area of your life, you know you're redeemed, you know you're saved, you know you're righteous on the inside, but salvation hasn't worked its way into all the things you do and have. I've, been, I've been, been talking to my body for about a year now, Amen. calling it saved in Jesus' name. <laughs> Working on a couple of areas of physica, physical things. Speaking to my body yes. about my salvation, about <laughs> its salvation, praise God. Amen. Amen. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You've got to talk to that liver. You've got to talk to that throat. You've got to talk to that back. You've got to talk to those muscles. You've got to talk to that knee and that okay. foot. You've got to talk to those eyes. You just got to talk to them in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Ooh, to work out what the righteousness that's on the inside of you, it comes out in salvation terms, yeah. deliverance terms. And the word sozo is used as much for healing as it is for going to heaven. I'm just telling you. 
It's used for all kinds of deliverance because that's what the word means. It does not always mean just going to heaven. Although, hallelujah, I'm grateful it stands for that too. The big one. To reverse the effects of the fall. That's what it was really all about. He came to reverse the effects of the fall. The fall, meaning the fall of Adam. I know some of you are deep in the things of God and been studying the Bible for many years, but remember we have visitors here. We have new converts here, so I have to try to, you know, shoot with a shotgun. This is not a rifle message, this is a shotgun message, okay? I've got to try to hit everybody at once. You have to saw off the barrel, get a wider spray. <laughs> Yeah, I'm country, as turnip greens. <laughs> no, I don't look it. Well, there are three universal curses. This comes up in my, in my teaching pretty often because it's something around which I'm writing a book. When I say I, I mean Christina. <laughs> is three universal curses, three universal judgments, if you will. And there were only three of them. You may think that all those judgments in Jeremiah are about you. They're not. You may think all those judgments in Ezekiel and Daniel are all about you. They are not. You may think all the judgments in the book of Revelation are all about you. They are not. They are real specific about who they are on. You need to understand this. Real specific. It names the names of the people. All of them, all through the Bible, are localized and personal. Local or personal. There were only three that impacted everybody for all time until Christ. The first one was Adam's sin. The first one was the judgment on man's sin in the garden. The Bible says that Adam was promised by God, if you eat that tree, you will die that day. Don't do it. So it wasn't as much a curse. It was a blessing just for God to tell him that. Until he, until he broke it, until he broke the blessing, until he broke the word, then that blessing turned into a curse. So Adam really cursed himself. But still it was a curse that impacted everyone because not one person escapes being born a sinner. Not one escapes. I don't care how sweet and, and wonderful your grandchildren are. I have ten that are perfect in every way. But every last one of them was born a sinner. Born naked and in sin. Born naked. All of them. And in sin. Yeah, I know. I know. That's why we live our lives the way we do. To redeem our children, praise God. Amen. Amen. Because if you let them raise themselves, they will be hellions. <laughs> they don't have to be told how to sin. They do it automatically. They lay in that bed. I mean, they're just a few months old, laying in there in that bed. Now, she knows you're asleep. <laughs> she knows you worked hard all day. But all she cares about is her, is her little tummy that's growling, and she is hungry, and she wants that bottle, and she wants it now. Yeah. And if you don't hear it, if you don't come when she screams, the neighbor's going to hear her talk about it. Because <laughs> she's just going to get louder and louder and louder. Why? Because she's basically selfish. She can't help herself. I know it doesn't seem evil to you, but that's born of that seed of separation from God. 
Every baby's born with it. I'm sorry, they just are. Self-preserving selfishness, it's innate in every human being until you get born again. Until you get born again. Then you'd rather die for somebody than kill for them. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm there. I have people in my life I would die for. I have others I would kill for. <laughs> I want to be there. <laughs> but, but, but your inner man, is, your inner man is, is a whole new thing once you come to Christ. It reverses that new birth. That new birth re, reverses the curse that was in the first death. Second, the second great universal curse was the flood. The flood. Yikes. Curse on all, it impacted the whole world. Impacted, it, it impacted Noah, even though he didn't die in the flood. It impacted him, impacted the whole world, because now we're not all related to Adam. We're even 2,000 years close, more closely related. We're all, we're all sons and daughters of Noah. Yeah. 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 You're a child of Noah. Red and yellow, black and white and brown, all of us. Frankie, get in, praise God, when I say that. <laughs> All of us <laughs> are born children of, children of Noah. That's why all our, par, all our parts work in each other's bodies. Because we're very closely related. And that's what makes racial prejudice so stupid. I should have a better amen in this house. It's just stupid. Just stupid to think like that. Not only hateful, but it's just stupid. We're sons and daughters of, of Noah, of Adam and then of Noah. That's because that flood impacted all of us. All of us. How do you get, how do you get that employed in your life? Get yourself water baptized. Like it says over there in one of the books of Peter, he says the baptism does now save us. It didn't say it made you righteous. It said it saves you. You've got to keep that straight. Water baptism doesn't make anybody righteous. It saves you, though. What does it save you from? It says in Peter's doctrine in Acts chapter 2, it says, save yourself from this crooked generation. His message was about being cut off from the world to become a new creature in the world. That's what the Bible teaches. When you're baptized, you're saying, I'm a new creature on this planet. Glory to God. You need to go bury that old man. If you believe he really died, take him out and bury him. Give him a proper burial. Don't sprinkle anything on top of him. He'll still smell bad. <laughs> bury him. Yeah, right. Tell where I stand on water baptism, right? Yeah. Bury him. Amen. In Jesus' name, bury him. Yeah. And then the third thing, the third curse, the third judgment, was the Tower of Babel. Impacted all of us. Anybody here uh, speak any language other than English? We had a lady in here who spoke Choctaw the other day. She sang us a song in Choctaw. My brother here, her son was here last week. And Frank, you, you speak a little Spanish, don't you, Frank? Anybody speak any French? I see where I teach, if I say that, there'll be 50 hands go up, and it'll be 50 different languages. <laughs> I want to say something in South Korean. Okay, go ahead. And I make them, make them quote John 3.16, you know, in their language. We go around the room. It's, it's amazing. 
And I say, I love your language. It's a beautiful language. But you do realize it's a curse. Your language is a curse. All of our languages came as a curse, a judgment from God. God didn't create language as a blessing. He created language as a curse. Mm. But, but, but I love my mother tongue. Yeah, I know. It's because you love the curse. Just the way it is. Just telling you what the Bible teaches. That did not come as a blessing to mankind. It came to drive men apart. It came because of their own selfishness and their own sin. God wouldn't do anything wrong. So you get, you get born again to reverse the curse of the garden. You get water baptism, water baptized to reverse the curse of Noah. And you get baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues to reverse the curse of the Tower of Babel. On the day of Pentecost, it said they were all gathered together in one place in one accord, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire, and sat upon each. You want to put this up there? You trust me. Anyway, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> cloven tongues of fire, and sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them. Now it's a gift. Then it was a curse. Now it's a gift. A gift from God. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Your first early steps of faith are to be born again, get yourself water baptized, and get filled with the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues. These are the early steps of faith which reverse the three universal curses. Now you're ready to get your life with God started. Yeah, this is good. This is, I'm helping you today. Amen. And that he died for all, verse 15, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him that died for them and rose again. So the second thing I want you to see is that redemption, first of all, it's, redemption is for living, but redemption is for reigning and serving. Huh. Part of the, the reason he saved you well, so you could help him save others. Let's just say it like that. Can we just say it like that? Part of the reason why he brought you in was so you could help him get others in. Yeah. Right. You don't live unto yourself, but you live for others. You live unto him for the sake of others. We're going to find this out a little bit more in later, later pieces of this. Remember, he said, well, now we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is one sent from one nation or government to another to, to represent it to represent that nation or government in another place. The highest ranking representative, do you know that the highest ranking representative of the, of, the, of the President of the United States in any nation is that nation's ambassador, the U.S. ambassador to that nation? He is the highest ranking official. He's higher, he, he outranks the senators in America. He outranks the congressmen in America. He outranks the vice president in America. He outranks everybody. The only person bigger than him is the president because the president, is a, he's a direct appointee to that nation. In that nation, he is the big dude for America. That's pretty powerful, you understand me? The Bible didn't say that you were some kind of hillbilly out of the backwoods, barely getting along, and we're going we're to send you a check if you would come and preach. No, he said, I'm going to make you my ambassadors. Amen. Make you my ambassadors. You are the ambassadors of Christ. The highest ranking representative official sent from one nation or government to represent it in another.
Hallelujah. You are citizens of heaven, and you are here on assignment. Praise God. You're here because God needs you here, wants you here, believes in you here. Hallelujah. Because He has people that you can impact and you can affect. He has people in your circle of influence that the guy down the, guy down the road from you cannot touch. The guy, on the, on the, the guy right there next to you cannot touch the people you can touch. You have influence that you don't know that, that, that is amazing in some people's lives. Might be children, might be old folks, might be teenagers, but you have influence. Might just be your family, but you have influence over somebody that God needs you to be His hands and feet for. Wow, that's powerful. A few years ago, there was a story about a fireman in Arlington, Texas. Young dude, full of vinegar and fire. They're at an apartment complex. It was on fire, and they'd just gotten there. They're all standing around, and, and it was pretty much, you know, I mean, it was, it was looking bad. The fire was pretty bad. They'd kind of gotten there almost too late. And a woman comes, comes running up to them, screaming for her babies. My babies, my babies. Well, your babies, where are your babies? They're still in there. Well, the captain didn't want anybody running in there, you know, but this one young fireman just took off. Just ran in. Just ran in. It's dark in there. Smoke everywhere. Stuff's falling down all around him. And he digs around and finds these two children in that apartment complex. After Long after. <clears throat> He's been in there for a minute, and then nothing hit. Two minutes. Three minutes. And the captain thinks he's lost a fireman. When the boy took off running, the captain screaming at him, Come back here! He just kept on running. My mama had her two babies in there. Somebody had to do something. So he ran in there. I don't know, I don't know how many minutes went by. It seemed like three or four or five minutes. Long time. That's a long time when a building's on fire. Long time. And just when the captain was just thinking, this kid is dead. I've lost a fireman, not to mention the two children. Just about that time, they saw a figure in the door, and he came out. Smoke swirling all around him, and he got a kid under each arm. Amen. Amen. It was amazing. They let him down out there, you know, and give him, give him oxygen. They do have to get him to the hospital because they both got smoke inhalation. They are very sick for a while. But they both recovered, and they gave him the key to the city. They had a big, they had a, I think it was the key to the city. Anyway, they gave him some big, big ceremony. You know, hero was welcome and everything. Had a big day. And they, the TV cameras were out there. I was watching it all on the news. TV cameras all out there. They shoved a microphone at the boy's face and said, Whoa, what's it like to be a hero? You know what he said? He said, I'm not a hero. Yeah, 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 you're a hero. You say these, he said, I'm, that, that's my job. I was just doing my job. I have something to tell you. You have been assigned the most dangerous and fulfilling job on the planet. Saving people from a fire that's far more intense than the one in Arlington. Man, when you do it, you look like a hero. But you really know you're just doing your job. You win somebody to Jesus. Man, there's no more, nothing more exhilarating than leading somebody to Jesus. You know, on your work or on your, you know, on your job or in a restaurant or at school or someplace, you, you get somebody cornered, you know. But I don't want to be saved. Yes, you do. 
You just don't know how lost you are. <laughs> and you get them to pray with you, you know, and they, see the tears come, and they lead, they, you lead them to Jesus. You walk, you walk around on a cloud all day, you think, dang, if I ain't Superman, I'm telling you. You just feel awesome. Huh? But you're just doing your job. You're just doing your job. That's why we're still here. That's why the rapture hadn't taken place yet. God's family's not full. Amen. We're still here. That must be the reason why we're still here. It's the only thing I can figure out. Why are we still here? God wants more people. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Y'all are doing it. I mean, you're bringing them to church by the dozens. I mean, it's amazing. I remember when Miss Ann was bleeding for 100 people. Now if 100 comes, she's all depressed. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look at verse 16. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. I think it's interesting when you read 1 John chapter 1. He says, the word of life which we handled with our hands, which we touched. John can't hardly get over this physical representation of God, this Jesus, this God in the flesh. He's still talking about him. 2 Peter chapter 1 says, I was, We were eyewitnesses of His glory when he, God gave Him the, He received the, the majesty on high, honor and glory when we were with Him in that holy mountain. Still talking about the Jesus He saw. The Apostle Paul talks to you about an even more powerful Jesus, the one you don't see. Jesus said it this way, It is more expedient for you that I go away, because if I go not away, the, the, the Comforter will not come. If I do not go away, the Comforter will not come. I pray the Father, and He will send you another Comforter. Jesus is going to ask the Father, and He did, and He left. But He didn't, you know what it's like. You know, people say, well, if I could just walk where Jesus walked. If I could have just been here, in his, I would have walked with you. No, 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 if you won't walk with Him today... You wouldn't have walked with him then. You'd been, you'd, you'd, you'd been one with the rocks in your hands. If you don't walk with him today, you wouldn't have walked with him then. Certainly, you, he would have made you so mad. Oh, he'd have made you mad. You would have just hated Jesus because he wrecked an awful lot of stuff. Jesus just tore up an awful lot of stuff. For instance, he wrecked every funeral he attended. I mean, you just can't have a good funeral without a dead guy. You know what I'm saying? When Jesus showed up, the dead just couldn't stay dead. <laughs> Funerals are no fun at all if without a dead guy. <laughs> Amen. He was, he was amazing, this Jesus. He is amazing, this Jesus. Paul says, Paul paints a picture of him being more amazing for us today than he was when he walked the earth. Because now he has died and taken away sins. When Jesus was walking the earth, he had not taken away the sins of the world. Mm-mm. He had not taken away your sins until He died, was buried, and rose again. This is why this is the gospel. That's when sin was dealt with. That's when He died for us to take away our sins. That's the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, all dealing with our sin. Hallelujah. There's the gospel. None of that happened when Jesus was walking the earth. You, you hear me? See, he, that's why he preached the gospel of the kingdom, not the, not the gospel of grace. 
because it wasn't about grace then. It was about turn or burn then. The law of Moses was still fully in force. But this redemption is a spiritual force. Which what it means is that everyone has great value. Who's got a penny? Who's got a penny? Who's got a penny? Well, Rick's got one. Her name is Penny. Hey, I got it. I got it. Thank you. I have two pennies here. I have this pretty shiny one. That's a pretty lady just threw to me. You all know, see that? I'd be a proud owner of a penny that pretty. Put your, put your glasses on, Frank. You can't, you can't. It's, a, it's a real penny. Shiny and pretty. And got this one I found in the parking lot out there on the way in. I know you can't see this one. You can? Oh, this, was, this was a contrast against my hand. Okay, I got it. This is dark and moldy and yucky and ugly. Been laying in the parking lot. Probably been stepped on, walked on, probably been driven over. This one here came out of pretty lady's pocket or purse. And it's had no damage at all. It's beautiful. This one is scuffed up and used and lost. Lost. Which one's most more valuable? They're the same. They're the same. They're both valuable to their maker. The maker decides the value, and the maker says they're both the same value. Glory to God. Redemption is a spiritual thing. It does not look at how long you've laid in the parking lot. <laughs> Redemption sees your spiritual value, and God sees you extremely valuable, just as valuable as the most holy people, you, holy person you know. Just as valuable as any body that you ever thought was holy. Verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The fourth thing I want to tell you about is that redemption makes everything new. Makes everything new. You may as well stop talking to God about how bad you've been. Well, Lord, you remember what I'm like. Lord, you, you know, you know I, I've always been this way, and I, you're just going to have to help me get over this. I've asked you 20 times to forgive me, but... Either if He did forgive you, He has no earthly idea what you're talking about right now. Because with forgiveness with God means forgetfulness with God. I don't know how he does it. 
I wish I had that ability, because I got a few people I'd like to forgive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Come on, don't look so holy, you know what I'm talking about. Got a few people I'd like to forgive and forget. <laughs> but he just forgets it. And if he forgets it, then it's just like it never happened. It's just like it never happened. You see the Apostle Paul trying to talk to him in Acts chapter 21 about this. Acts chapter 21, Jesus says, Paul, I'm going to send you, going to send you out of here. They were not going to receive your testimony here. I'm going to send you out of here. I already shared this maybe a week or two ago. seems like I did. And, and Paul says, yeah. oh, but Lord, I need to talk to them. They know what a stinker I was. They know I persecuted those who, who weren't. And Jesus said, get up, get out. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. Jesus won't even talk to him about how bad he's been. Paul's making a good case. This dude is smart. He's making a good case, and what he says makes sense to me as I'm reading it. I said, yeah, he's, he's right, Lord. The Lord said, get up, get out. I want to take you someplace else. Really? I was trying to have a conversation with you about my past. All he can hear Jesus say from there on, it doesn't say it in the, in the Bible, but I'm telling you what Jesus is thinking. You have no past. We're only looking forward. I got to deal with your past every day. Um, we're never going to get anything done. Redemption says this is a new day. Everything has become new. If God got over it, well, you might as well get over it. Because you're letting the devil use it against you to keep you from being all you, are, you can be in God. Come on, tell, tell two people, you need to get over it. Tell somebody else, you need to get over it. Will y'all come back next week if I promise to, well, not next week, because next week is youth, youth week. But in two weeks, I'll be back. Pick up right there where we left off. Will you, will you come back and pick, let me finish this message with you?